Why? It's a simple question that has no simple answers. You're not alone in these questions. Today we're going to answer the question, why did Jesus have to die? Enjoy the message. Ever wonder why? There's so many questions uh, that can run through your mind. If we were to just lay it out, there'd be a whole list of stuff. But, you know, um, there's so many questions that you can ask why about, like, um, why is the sky blue? Uh, why is inflation a thing? Why does the word bed look like a bed? You ever think about that? Uh, most importantly, um, why aren't there more quick trips on more corners of Kenosha? I think, I think we need more uh, iced Karuba Gold glazed donuts. By the way, Monday they have, uh, it's the $1 iced coffee, not a sponsor again, but uh, I love iced Karuba Golds. But this morning we're, we're covering a topic that maybe you have never thought about before. Um, maybe you have thought about this uh, plenty of times. Uh, why, why did Jesus have to die? Um, why did he have to go to the cross and die a physical death? You know, this question may seem straightforward for some, but maybe others of you. Um, this is a very tough question that you can think about. You know, there's all kinds of responses that you can get about Jesus' death. Was, was Jesus real? Um, did he really uh, go to the cross? Was, there's so many questions that can come up. And, and so this morning, maybe some of you have asked, maybe some of you have asked, uh, uh, if God can do anything he wants, couldn't he just forgive us with one word? Couldn't he just forgive all of our sin with just one word? I mean, why go to the cross? If the government can supposedly write a bill to forget all student loan debt, why can't God do the same, right? You ever think about that? Uh, it, wouldn't it be more efficient, more effective just to say, I forgive you and kind of like, let's just go, everybody go to heaven? Maybe others of you have thought this morning, was Jesus' death even that beneficial? Um, his death may, for some of you, may seem like a retirement account that you kind of look forward to, you know, the, uh, the golden years. You know, it's important to have uh, that in the back of your pocket. But was his death even that profitable? Did it benefit you? Um, some of you sure have, have thought about, um, was Jesus' death um, beneficial? Was it profitable? Uh, uh, you know, uh, sure, Jesus might have died as an innocent man, but haven't other people died just unjustly like him? I mean, what was so different about Jesus' death? If the whole point of Christianity is to believe in Christ and to believe in him, why couldn't God just put, you know, an 80-mile flat screen in the sky and just reveal himself that way? Or why couldn't he send us, like, push notifications on our phone or, uh, you know... To keep up to date, he could have created an Instagram account and we could follow him and answer all his polls and he could put stories on there and we could follow him. Did Jesus really have to die the way he did? Maybe some of you are asking, is he even real? Is he, did he even die like he said he did? So my main point today, my main point today is, um, if you're taking notes, is if not him, then us. If not him, then us. You know, when we read the Gospels, what we see is Jesus doing all of the things that humanity longs for in a Savior. Jesus is giving free health care by restoring blind eyes and healing lame men. He's, you know, usurping inflation by multiplying bread and fish. And when he travels to the Midwest, you know, he's multiplying cheese curds and custard. Um, you know, he's even found, like, restoring um, broken relationships all throughout the Gospels. When you read the Gospels, that's what he's doing. 
And while all of those things are highly important and they are a part of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to to know Christ is that God does those things in your life. But Jesus' primary purpose, his number one reason why he came to earth was to pay a debt for our sin. Jesus came to die in our place on a cross that we all should have known. Jesus was on a mission to redeem humanity. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, the greatest way that Jesus would serve mankind was not to give a man a better career or more health care or better government or, or even more money. Jesus saw that our, our greatest need was entirely spiritual. It was to be forgiven a debt that we could not repay on our own so that we could fully know and experience him. When Jesus died, he redeemed us. God forgave us and his death paid a price for our sin so that we no longer had to carry this burden, this bag of weight on our shoulders, but Jesus really paid it all. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So maybe you're the one here this morning, you've asked, well, why couldn't God simply say you're forgiven? Like, wave a magic wand, say, okay, you're good, you're good to go, why, why die? And you see, while we think that forgiveness and redemption can happen without some kind of payment, it just, it doesn't work that way. You see, redemption and uh, forgiveness implies that a price had to be paid. Uh, the Greek word actually means, for redemption, the Greek word actually means to liberate on the receipt of a ransom. There's a, there's a transaction that actually takes place. Forgiveness and redemption, although it's highly relational, it's highly personal when you forgive somebody, there's actually, there's an element that requires like a transaction or a payment of some sort. Um, you may ask, okay, how does this work? Let me explain. So if I were to take my keys and just kind of toss it to you and you, I said you can borrow my car and you can go, go use it for whatever you need. And so you're on, you're on your way to Starbucks. You got your $5 gift card that you got this morning or tomorrow. And um, you're on your way to Starbucks. And so you crash my car. You total it. It's an 05, so it's not that expensive. But, you know, you still totaled it. <laughs> I have two options, right? There was, I, would, I, would, I would have two options to do. I could either for, you know, I can either um, make you repay you know, I can make you pay the debts or the total cost of my car, and that would be absolutely moral and ethical. I don't know, Kelly Blue Book would probably, 800 bucks maybe, I don't know. Um, <laughs> or, or I could forgive you. I have two options. I could make you repay it or I could forgive you. And if I were to forgive you, there would still be a cost. The cost wouldn't magically disappear. It wouldn't just go away and although, although the cost would no longer fall on you, it would fall on somebody. It would fall on me. I would still have to repay the damages that you made. And this is what Jesus has done when he died, is that he absorbed all of the costs, all of the damages that were caused by our sin, both past, present, and future. And all we have to do is to accept his offer, to put our full faith and trust in him, that he paid for our sin. And you may ask, well, why his blood? It sounds a little weird. Like, why his blood? Is there, is there something to his blood? It sounds, you know, we sing about it. 
well, it's not necessarily that his blood was, um, you know, magical or that you bought it from, like, you know, the 700 Club, had it shipped in from Jerusalem in a napkin or something like that. But his blood was quite literally the difference between who we are and who he is. It was the life that he lived that we did not. It was, it was everything that he did that we did not do. His blood is the contrast of the life that he lived versus the life that we have lived. And you see, Jesus is God. He's perfect. And because of that, Jesus met the standard that God required in order to forgive us. There was a standard, and he, he outpaced us by a mile. In every category, he, he did better than we, we thought he would do. Which is why the Apostle Paul writes in Romans, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we've all fallen short of it. That Jesus has never lied. He's never once cheated. Uh, he's never lusted after anyone or anything. In all things moral, in all things ethical, in all the laws of God, Jesus perfected it to a T and he still is. Which is why I love what, what John Piper, John Piper's a, a pastor and theologian, I, I love what he says that God is in a class all on his own. He has infinite perfection and infinite greatness and infinite worth. The gap between our glory and God's glory was so far that no amount of money, no amount of work, no amount of time, charity, offerings, discipline, effort, pain, suffering, anything, sacrifice could restore what sin broke in our relationship with God. And maybe there are some of you here this morning, you've, you've, maybe you find that offensive. Maybe you don't believe that's actually true. But even if we were to take the most saintly person that you know, um, Mother Teresa, maybe your grandma, like whoever it is, you could just fill in the gap. Would, would they even compare to God? Would they even come close to God's glory? The most perfect person we know, would they even compare I heard a father once say to his daughter that, um, that he would do anything and go anywhere for her. For her. Um, anything she needed, whether anything. And, and he even said that he would, he would swim uh, across the ocean from, from Hawaii to Japan if that's what it took. If that's what she needed, he would do that. And I love the sentiment. I really do. I, li I like the sentiment. It's, it's, you know, it's nice, warm, fuzzy. But we all know that's, that's not true. There's no way that he could possibly do that. Do you know what the distance is between Hawaii and Japan? Do you know, do you know the distance? It's 4,108 miles. It's a long way. Do you know what the world record is for the longest swim? 155 miles. It doesn't even come close. And that was just broken last year. And so for us to put any kind of work or spiritual makeup on that we somehow think we can close the gap between us and God, it's just not possible. There's just no way. And, and Charles Spurgeon would put it this way. He says, observe, it's not redemption through his power. It is through his blood. It is not redemption through his love. It is through his blood. Jesus did what we could not. And he was perfect where we were not. So today, today we can choose to let go and let God, we can soak in the gospel, we can lean into the gospel, and we can believe that Jesus really does love and have grace for sinners like you and me, or, or this morning we could attempt to 
close the distance using with whatever kind of work or whatever kind of thing we think God wants or we think could be sufficient. So if we believe in his death, if we believe in his resurrection, what does this mean for us? And what does, what does this mean about why Jesus died? Um, firstly, uh, when we look at Jesus' death, what we can see is that his death defined the relationship. This is point one, is that his death defined the relationship. Um, our why questions can often be the biggest questions we ask in life. Uh, I know even for me, some of the most trying moments, some of the most trying moments in my life were, were questions that began with why. Um, and maybe for you, it's the same thing, like, why can't I bear children? Or why can't I seem to find the right partner in life? Why, why do all my friends seem to be advancing in careers and in jobs and family, and all I seem to be doing is treading, treading water? Our why questions can mean so much to us, and oftentimes, if they're left unanswered, they can, they can lead us to despair and to disbelief. And somehow... When they're unanswered, we think that God has forsaken us or that maybe we're a second-tier Christian. You know, when life is foggy and when things seem to, pe- uh, t- to appear to be unclear and dark, um, what we ought to do is, is to go to the things that we know. Um, one of the most simple and profound statements that I heard growing up, I, it's so simple and but it impacted me so deeply is, is a speaker had said once, he said, it's not about what you feel, it's about what you know. I know in, in this day and age, that's, that's something that that's, we're having a hard time mulling over is that our feelings, although good, although our feelings can often lead us to, to you know, um, to things that are wrong, they aren't the only thing that should drive where we go in life. Um, airline pilots. Airline pilots are often trained um, in a specific way so that when they, uh, you know, experience turbulence or they go through a dark storm or uh, maybe they're in a spiraling, you know, they're spiraling downward, they're in an emergency, they're often trained uh, in such a way that uh, they go, rather than what they feel, they go to what they know. Um, oftentimes, they, they, you can feel like you're going upward, um, but you could very well be going downward if you don't see, if you can't see. So the only true reference that those kinds of moments have in the, in the plane are, are going to the instruments inside of the plane. And what we feel and what we can know can be drastically different. And so to live solely by those feelings can often lead us to disappointment. They can lead us to be hurt or in some cases shipwrecked in our faith. And I don't want to discount the pain that you go through. There's some really difficult, painful things that you feel in life. Maybe that's, you know, a difficult time in your marriage or you went through a, a financial um, spell that you just didn't know if God was really there for you. Or maybe it was a broken relationship or, or whatever it may be in your career. You just feel like maybe you're not a, a good enough dad or uh, if you can't find the, the right job or you're not a good enough mom because, you know, you just, you know, you, maybe you're, you know, you just, Go crazy trying to take care of the kids in the morning. Uh, whatever it may be, um, what, I'm not trying to discount those, those feelings at all. But what I am saying, what I am suggesting is that wouldn't in the worst kinds of seasons, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to know where true north is? If your feelings are so crazy, wouldn't you want to know where true north is, where you should actually go to? You know, the first time I can remember feeling lost was in the old Food for Less on 52nd. 
Who remembers that? I just want to know. Pulling, pulling. Okay, I see a couple hands. Honestly, I don't even know how I remember that, the food for less. But I remember I was just a little kid. I was just a little tyke. And my mom told me to go grab a gallon of milk. And these are different days back then. You could actually do that. We didn't have leashes, you know, that you can, you know, carry your kid and know that they're not going to be taken. But my mom asked me to go grab a, a gallon of milk. And, um, and so when she said that, she said, go grab it, and I'll be in aisle four. I said, okay. So as me being me, I went to go grab the gallon of milk. I turned around. I completely forgot what she told me. And so I started to cry. I started to panic. Um, I started sprinting up and down the aisle. And she was in aisle four, as she said. <laughs> and so when I approached her, she, uh, she replied, you know, uh, she asked, why are you crying? I said, Mom, I thought you had left me. I thought you had completely abandoned me. And she, she replied, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you where I would be? You know, when we, when we look at the cross, when we contemplate what Jesus is doing, he is communicating to us where he is and what he is doing. So when we feel lost, when we feel abandoned, when we feel in despair, we have an anchor to turn to. The first thing that we can see is when we look into the cross is that he actually has a plan for us. You know, if Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave so that we can have a relationship with him, what, wouldn't it make sense that he would have a plan for us after that? Like, would, would Jesus give up his rights and his life and, and go through all the pain and all the suffering just to do nothing with us? Does that make sense? Like, if, if I were to buy a business, if I were to save up, which would take years at this point, <laughs> save up to buy a business, um, wouldn't I have, like, plans to maybe expand the business or to restore the business? Wouldn't I have something in mind for that business? In the same way, God, when he restores our relationship, when he has paid the cost to have a relationship with you, doesn't he have a plan and a purpose for you afterwards? When we look at the cross, what we can see is that Jesus has something in mind for you. It's not just an arbitrary, yes, God, I believe in you, but it's an it's a, a invitation to know God and to walk with him and to see where he's going to lead you in life. And that's better than where your sin would leave you in life. The stakes of redeeming us were way too high. They were way too costly just to do nothing. Just to do nothing. And I'm sure you know is that what you invest in, what you pour your soul into, is probably what you care most about. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 says, For I know the, the plans that I have for you, uh, declares the Lord, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and to give you a hope. God has a hope and a future for you this morning. And all you got to do is, is, is if, if you're going 100 miles an hour in your mind, you just got to look at the cross and God's going to center us. Psalms 139 says that your eyes saw me. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All the days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. You know, I'm really glad that God has a calendar. <laughs> God has a plan. He has a purpose. He's writing down things for your life and for my life. And all we got to do is get on board with it. The second thing that we can see uh, is when we look to Jesus dying for us on the cross is that he will not forsake us. See, despite having anything to gain from us, Christ died for us. It says that while we were still yet sinners, he died for us. If Christ died 
with no guarantee of anything in return, would he simply abandon ship? What the cross shows is that he was in it for the long haul. That even in our worst moments, in our worst times, that he would still be there for us. Moments before Jesus exclaimed, uh, moments before Jesus' death, he exclaimed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a very profound thing when you think that the Son of God felt abandoned by his own Father. But it was on the cross that Jesus was forsaken so that we would not have to be forsaken. So that even in our darkest, most trying moments, even when they seem to appear that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit has forsaken us, we know that is not true. The second thing that we can see is that, is that when we look at the cross is that, uh, and his death is that we no longer have to drown in religion. We no longer have to like strive and work and try to, to make things right on our own because Jesus has done it for us. You know, there's not many times that I felt like I was going to die, but one of those times was in a wave pool. Yes, the wave pool. In college, and uh, my family and I, we went up to Wisconsin Dells. And honestly, I don't even know why I felt like I needed to go swimming because I don't like swimming. I really don't. I, I don't know why. But if you're going to go to Wisconsin Dells, you might as well go to a wave pool. And so, <laughs> so I went to the front where the waves would be most violent and most extreme. And, uh, you know, I was doing, I was doing okay for a while. Um, but after a while, I got tired and exhausted. I started uh, to feel fatigued. And so I thought I would turn back. Turned back around, but oh no, I started to go underneath the waves and, and started to, to work hard to stay afloat. And uh, crazy thing enough is, true story, is that I, I got a cramp in my leg because I was working so hard to stay above water. And at that time, there was, uh, there was a, a, a girl on a floaty. So I started reaching for anything. And so there happened to be this girl, and I, I tried to ask her for help. And I don't know what she thought, but she just kind of floated away. I, I, I'm like, I'm not trying to find a girlfriend. Please help me. Like, I, like is this the best you can do? Seriously? Um, that is a good tactic. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, maybe don't try it in a, in a wave pool. You know, do something a little less uh, crazy. But anyway, uh, yeah, so um, I, I, somehow I just washed up to shore. Um, but, you know, this morning, there are some of you here. There's some of you here, and you're working, you're striving, you're doing everything you can to keep your head above water. Whether it's by your works or your charity, maybe it's your time, whatever you feel like God is, has, needs you to do for him, you're just striving and doing and going, and you're really not going anywhere. So whatever it is, you can throw it out, and all you have to do is cling to Christ. When we look at the cross, you don't have to strive anymore because he strove for us. We don't have to work because he did the work for us. We just have to cling to him. Matthew 11, Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I, I, will, give, I will give you rest. Because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, Jesus longs to turn our striving into resting. He longs to turn our working into resting. 
is that we no longer have to do anything but to believe in him. You know, the, the, the irony of, of what Jesus is teaching is that, is that this is actually a picture of work. The analogy is a picture of work. A yoke was actually used for work. And there, maybe there's a few people in here, you're asking, what in the world is a yoke? Now, it's not something that you buy at the grocery store, but it was something that you would actually use to put on an animal. It was used for work. And because this was 2,000 years ago, they didn't have $300,000 John Deere combines to plow the field. They would actually use oxen and animals, uh, you know, to do the work for them. And so, and so this yoke was actually applied to both seasoned and stronger uh, ox as well as to a much younger and weaker ox. They were, they, they were attached together. And so these oxen would have had their, this yoke attached to both of their necks. And, uh, you know, they would work in tandem. As they work together, they, the, the power would transfer to do the work for them. And so what Jesus is implying is that, is that while we are working out our faith in him, while we are learning to be like him, while we are learning to have faith in him, is that we, uh, we need to learn from him. Um, the greatest work that we can do in our own faith is to cling to him, is that we are the younger, much weaker ox, and he is the much stronger ox, and we learn from him. Learning that there is more power in Christ and less power in ourselves can be a very difficult thing to do, but through Christ, we go farther and we go faster, and because of that, we actually live the kind of relationship that God intends for you to live in is that when you, when you work together with Christ, he actually brings a kind of relationship that he desires for you. And it seems like sometimes, man, I just gotta do this or do that just to, to feel like I connect with Christ. And when all he says is you just, gotta, you just gotta lean on me and cling to me. Is that when you, know, you, you spend time you know, getting ready to, to do a devotional or get ready to, to you know, pray or worship, you just feel like you got to do this thing, all, do all these things right before just to feel like you got to go somewhere. And that's not what he's saying. Is that you just got to cling to him. Romans 1.16 says, for, for I am unashamed of the gospel because it is the power, it is the power of God for salvation. It is the power of God to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. The power that you'll have in your faith is not when you think you can do it on your own, but when you actually lean in and cling to Christ. I love what the gospel, the book, The Gospel Primer, and how he depicts this. I think it's really awesome. He says, indeed, God's power, God's power is seen in uh, erupting volcanoes and in the unimaginable hot boil of our massive sun and in the lightning speed of a recently discovered star seen streaking through the heavens at 1.5 million miles per hour. Yet in scripture, such wonders are never labeled the power of God. How powerful then must the gospel be that, that it would merit such a title? I found that so, so, so crazy that nothing in the book, nothing in the Bible has, has ever been labeled the power of God outside of the gospel. It's so awesome. The third way that we can see of how his death affects us is that we now have bold access to God. Ephesians 3.12 says that in him we have bold and confident access through faith in him. Because God has done the work to regain our relationship with God, there is now, now a complete open door to you and to God. So that you can approach God 
You can go to him with boldness and with, with uh, complete confidence that he'll open up and receive you. You don't have to gain to work access. You don't have to put on a certain kind of church clothes to, to, to gain access. You don't have to, you know, know all the Christian lingo or you don't even have to listen to K-Love to gain access. I know some of you feel bad if you turn it off. I know you do. You don't have to do that to gain access with God. You just got to believe in him. When you put your faith and trust in him, you have the boldness to approach him. And maybe sometimes you feel like you got to have everything in order in order to meet with God. All the circumstances have to be right in order for you to, to weigh out all the, you know, all the, all the bad, right? you got to have so many goods to have, weigh out all the bad so that maybe God can bless you with something good. But that's not the case. Like maybe you feel like you, just, you shouldn't mess up for a few days or maybe you weren't lustful or angry uh, a couple times. And so maybe God will you know, bring you in or you didn't argue with your spouse. Uh, maybe you just, you know, you were nice to your coworkers. I know that's difficult sometimes to be nice to your coworkers, but maybe you have to set up all these guidelines, these parameters in order for God to actually meet with you, and that's just not the case. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was younger, uh, you know, I would hang out with a group of guys in our neighborhood all the time, and, um, you know, we would go outside, we'd, we'd play football, we would, uh, you know, ride our bikes, we would skateboard. Most of them were really good at skateboarding. I was not. I was the short, fat kid who could not ride a skateboard. And there was some, there's, some, there's something about, like, being overweight and standing on a board with four wheels that just sometimes doesn't line up really good. Um, but I was, I was that kid. And uh, when we were, we were hanging out with each other, uh, we would always want to go to a friend's house because his mom was like the snack lady. There was, always that, there was always that friend whose mom was the snack lady. And so she would have like candy and M&Ms and all this stuff laid out on the coffee table. But in her kitchen, in her kitchen, she would have all these things lined up. And they were, uh, you know, it was like glass jars with Nutty Buddies and trail mix and just a bunch of food. And so we would want to go to his house rather than anybody else's. And so as friends, we just kind of pile in and I, I see how bad and how wrong it is to do that now, but we would just go in, and because he grabbed snacks, we would grab snacks too. Uh, we were his friends, and so we felt like we could do that. Because you're a friend, because you're a friend of God, you have access to go in to receive his blessing. Is that when you put your faith in him, you have access to be in his presence. Being a friend gains you access into his presence you know, Jesus told his disciples that they no longer were servants, but they were his friends. They were his friends. We no longer need to be distant or feel shy, but we are now his friends. You know, for both, um, you know, one thing I, I, I really appreciate about this church, and maybe, maybe you're a visitor and, you know, you've experienced it this morning, or maybe you've been here a few times, but... Uh, you know, our core, one of our core values is hospitality. You know, it's, it's a very subtle, but it's a very important ministry when seeing the gospel. Because the cool thing about hospitality is that not only, not only do the receiver, not only does the receiver, you know, see Jesus and God more clearly through it, but also the giver. Um, you know, we see God more clearly in hospitality. We see the character of who he is. In Matthew 
Matthew 5, it says, uh, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to shine or his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect as, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's two things I want to I point out. One is what it means to be perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now this word, this word actually means, I know another Greek word here, means to be mature. For us, we think being perfect means to have all of your ducks in a row, to you know, cross your T's and dot your I's to, to never miss a sticker on the calendar to whatever it may be. That's, that's what we think perfection is when God says perfection is just to be mature. And there's something cool that, I, that I've noticed here is that notice is that God causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And I know that throws us for a loop because we think that, you know, uh, I can't receive anything good if I've been bad. Is that God doesn't give when I am bad. He doesn't open the door for me if I'm bad. He doesn't bless me if I'm bad. I, he only gives to the good, and that's wrong. But I also want you to notice something here, too, is that the blessings that he has given are earthly blessings, it's the sun and the rain. It's the physical. So it's the job opportunities, the, the uh, open doors in your career, the, you know, the, the networking connections that you've just come across of. It's the physical, earthly blessing that God pours out. That's why some of you are very successful but have yet to give your life to Christ. But there's a certain kind of blessing that can only come. There's a certain spiritual blessing that can only come through knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior is that the peace that you can find in Christ only comes through him. The joy that you can have in Christ only comes through him. And while all of the earthly pleasures that we want in life, the success in your career, the, the joy, the happiness that you find in your relationships and in your family, all of those things are given freely by God. But there's only one thing, one thing that can free you from a life of sin and the burden of sin and having the weight on your shoulder, and that's knowing Jesus. It's putting your full faith and trust in him. So this morning as, as I close, i just like us to bow our heads. And if that's you this morning, if you would like to give your life to Christ, just simply raise your hand. If, 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 knowing, if, if, if you want to know Christ and to know him, to be, to be free from your life of sin and, and the weight of sin, just, you can just go ahead and slip your hand up. No one's looking around. Thank you. And I'll just lead us through a prayer. You can, you can repeat after me or you can say it in your heart. God, I just want to thank you so much for, for, being, uh, for being everything that we need, God, whether it's, it's pouring your life out um, on the cross or, or, or coming into my life to, 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 to open up job opportunities or whatever it may be, but God. But this morning, I just pray, God, I just pray that, that I would know you I want to know you more. I want to fully know and trust you, God. 
So I lean into what, what the cross has said and, and what you have done for me. God, I lean into that this morning. God, we just thank you this morning. We, we bless you this morning. God, I also want to pray for any, um, Lord, any Christians, any, any believers who, who've been in the faith for so long that they've just kind of gotten null or dull to, to, your, to the gospel. God, I just pray that you would soften. God, you would soften our hearts. You would soften their hearts. God, that we would look with joy and with expectation with what you're doing and what you have done for us this morning. God, so we just thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.